Do you intend to digitize, classify, extract, and validate data from documents? Well, you can explore UiPath Document Understanding Overview at academy.uipath.com and learn how to use intelligent optical character recognition activities to your benefit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Stack Overflow podcast. Today is an especially special one, not only for the guests that we have on. We have a new first-time Stack Overflow member, Marianne Lowry, joining. Hello, Marianne. And we also have Wesley Faulkner talking about neurodiversity in tech. This is something that's been especially evident in my life over the last year as I got diagnosed with ADHD. And there's a lot of stuff you need to learn to how to deal with kind of like your own neurodiversity in tech, let alone how to like manage your personal life and work life and interviewing for jobs and all that kind of stuff. So this is hopefully what we're going to be able to cover today, at least in kind of like a foundational level. So in terms of introducing everyone, Siora, if you could introduce yourself, give your experience with neurodiversity or whatever you're comfortable with, and then we can move on to Wesley and Marianne. Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation. I'm also, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, Matt. I'm going through the process of being diagnosed with ADHD officially. And it is very interesting to try to figure out how to work with ADHD and how to work with other people who are also neurodivergent. So I'm excited to jump into this conversation because I feel like it's a topic that's skated around, but it would be nice to have like more of an in-depth, detailed conversation around like what that looks like and how anybody with any type of neurodivergence can be successful in tech. Yeah, that's the reason why we did the podcast in the first place, because I feel like we need something to bite on, which is why we've got Wesley on today as he's got a plethora of experience talking about this. So Wesley, would you be able to kindly introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Wesley Faulkner. I've been doing developer relations for about the past five years in various capacities. I was initially diagnosed as an adult. I was a freshman in college when someone recommended that I get tested. And so I've been diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, but I kind of been masking for most of my life until the pandemic hit in 2020, where I kind of was forced to kind of go on a journey of self-discovery to understand how I work better, where I work better, and the types of skills and alignment to the companies that will actually allow me to lean into those skills and to appreciate how I am different and how I see the world. And Marianne, as our last guest, would you be able to introduce yourself in your... Yes. Hi, everyone. So my name is Marianne Lowry, and I'm a lead product researcher on Stack Overflow for Teams. So my journey with neurodiversity, it's it's been a passion topic and the neurodiversity, inclusion, and accessibility, I made it a passion project for mine. And this is because both because of personal and professional reasons. So as a UX, so user experience and product researcher, I often get to talk to our users. About a year ago in a user research session, I got to talk to a user who disclosed that they were autistic. This was a very eye-opening research session, and it provided great insight into how neurodiverse individuals may process or interpret some of the language and the design and mock-ups that we show differently than neurotypical folks. So because of that, I started doing a research, like how do we remove these barriers from UX research participation? How do we make it more accessible and inclusive to neurodiverse folks? So we've been on this journey with the research team and made some accommodations and some changes to the process. And right now I'm looking into how we can apply some of those best practices to the hiring process as well. 
On the personal front, I have an 11-year-old child who's always been a little bit different than you know, when you're a parent, you, you just know. And we, we got her diagnosis very recently, and it confirmed that she is a neurodiverse. So we've, we've been on this journey together. And as a mom, I just want to make sure that she accepts herself who she is, and I can help her build on some of the strengths she has and then also working through some of the challenges that come with, with neurodiversity. So, so yeah, that is, that is my journey in a nutshell. Happy to be here and be part of this conversation. The journey that I want to take everybody on today, I guess, well, basically, this is going to follow the path of getting a job. You've got to deal with neurodiversity within yourself and then how to vet companies. And then once you're in the company, how to kind of be the best advocate you can for yourself and be able to thrive in that environment. So starting off with yourself. Wesley, you've had a lot of experience with neurodiverse folks within the industry, and, and you know that's a journey that you've had to go through yourself. So what kind of ways do you think people can really advocate for themselves or figure out kind of like how to work better and, and be their best as they're working? Is that something you've got experience with? Yes. One part that's a little complicated, so we'll work differently depending on who's listening. In my case, especially, there is an intersectionality with neurodiversity where if you're coming from an underrepresented space or person, you might feel more reluctant to be authentically yourself because when you are entering the interview process, you can feel that there might be already a few strikes against you before even starting to open your mouth or uh, to kind of advocate for uh, how you might be the best person for a role or a job. So depending on your seniority and how comfortable you are, being able to be upfront and embrace exactly the ways where you can lean into the advantages of being different. And in multiple different contexts, things that are seen as strengths can be seen as a weakness. So understanding how to cast those things in the way that is more advantageous to what you're good at is very important. For instance, I am dyslexic and I don't like to type a lot. And so whenever I summarize things, it could seem fairly dense, meaning I don't use a lot of flowery language. I don't necessarily use a lot of words where instead of five words that really explain something, I might just use one that kind of encapsulates those. And then some people have told me that I don't use enough detail. And some people say that sometimes my writing is poetic in the way that things come together and how they work. So in different contexts, it's important to find your way where you can just kind of like tilt your head and look differently at yourself to be more empathetic and more caring about how you view yourself and how you come off. And then once you're able to like embody that, then you're able to kind of say, this is what I'm good at and speak with authority. One kind of misconception that happens for everyone is that there is a certain thing as a well-rounded employee. There are job descriptions that have all these details and skills and actions and things you have to do. No one can really meet those at the same quality level for all of those things. And so it's okay to kind of like speak into that truth, be allowed to say, these are the things that I will thrive in doing and be able to kind of like cast yourself, like I said, in this positive light and just, just know that with authority that you are good at these things and show that... Your neurodiversity can help you actually excel and build those skills and really lean into that. I guess it's always like a, a selling yeah. game when you're 
in an interview where you're trying to come off as your best self. And so making sure that you don't have that hesitation internally is one thing that I would just kind of really hone in and say is kind of the core to interviewing. That transparency is something that I know I've struggled with a lot. It's kind of that thing of, do I need to tell someone that I'm neurodivergent? Do I need to disclose that in a job? And when, when you're doing that, I kind of feel like as if I'm coming off difficult or I'm saying, you know, this is me, but in order to work with me, you've got to kind of jump through these hoops in order to, to kind of cater towards my own brain and, and how I think. And that's something that I've struggled with, especially as somebody who is diagnosed this year is kind of navigating through that whole thing. Like I know Sierra, you've, you've also going through this as well. Like, is that something that you can speak to? Have you been encountering the same issues? I think the important thing about that is to be on a team where you feel comfortable, where you feel safe. Psychological safety is already extremely important for me as a black woman in technology. So I try to aim for teams where that will be a given already. If I don't feel safe as I walk in the door, how can I feel safe being someone who's neurodivergent? I do really like Wesley's point, though, of kind of changing how you frame your neurodivergence. There are many things that are strengths about being neurodiverse, depending on how you are. So some people hyper fixate on certain things. Some people are very detail oriented. Like those are all things that you could use as strengths. It all depends on how you frame it, how you talk about it, especially in the interview process. One thing I'm interested in, because yes, I have ADHD, so I'm part of the neurodivergent community, but I always wonder about like when you're on the other side, when you're the team member who's dealing with someone who has autism or ADHD or whatever, or if you're hiring, what are things you can do to make sure that the process is safe and comfortable for them? Marianne, I know you mentioned that in your introduction, that that's something that you're working on and thinking about. So I wanted to hear if you had any perspective as far as that goes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting because I may have mentioned this before, that there are so many similarities I see between user research sessions and job interviews. And that's why I was thinking, you know, when I, when I try to make user research sessions more inclusive, uh, a lot of those best practices, a lot of those techniques can be applied to traditional job interviews as well. I think some of the tips that I could share is, and first of all, training, training, training for everyone involved in the hiring process. Like make sure that they receive training. The interview environment is very important. So both for the user research sessions, but also for job interviews that it's best if it's a quiet environment, free of interruptions, even in the remote world, just you know, make sure there's not too much noise, interruptions in the background. With neurodiverse individuals, it's best to avoid large groups. It's best to make accommodations. And some interviews can consist of like three or four interviewers, one interview that can be a little bit overwhelming. So either try to break that up or try to offer shorter sessions. Yeah, that's just part of the accommodations you can offer during the interview process. Some folks are not comfortable with camera or uh, in-person uh, interviews. So maybe it's uh, it's best to conduct a phone interview first. That can help ease the anxiety level. I think another thing is just how you phrase the questions, like being very direct with questions, you know, no blanket statements, no jargon, no metaphors, no abstract, none of those like weird questions, like pretend you're in this scenario. That can be very... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just being very direct with the questions and be patient because my experience is that some neurodiverse individuals, they, ne- they may need more time 
to process some of the questions and think through the answers. And that is totally fine. So again, don't ask quick or hypothetical questions. And then I think, Wesley, you touched on this, is that focus on the skill-based methods and questions. Like ask candidates maybe to present examples of past work. So nothing abstract, but like focus on the skill-based. And then sometimes we we have like a problem to solve during an interview and uh, often people get stuck on, you know, how you get there, but focus on the results, not how you get there and give candidates the flexibility to figure out how they approach certain problems. A couple of other things to keep in mind goes back to patience and the flexibility that some candidates may be overly verbose. And uh, again, with the language like some neurodiverse individuals may interpret words or language literally. So just keep that in mind. And I think another thing is very important is be aware of your own biases and just check your social expectations. And I see this with my own daughter. Sometimes she has trouble making eye contact. You know, some folks may be prone to fidgeting or exhibit some different physical traits and avoid making judgment based on this. And Mm -hmm. don't let this impact your decision making. Don't judge mannerisms or repetitive movements or even like the lack of interest in small talk. Like I personally have a problem with that. You know, sometimes that can be just talking about the weather or starting the interview with small talk. That is not comfortable for everyone. Again, instead of like focusing on how the interviewee performs, consider if they possess the skills and the experience that are necessary yeah. for the position. So again, I think just having a curious mind and the mindset. And yeah, I think my first point was like training, 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 uh, just to avoid biases. I'm curious if either of you have any advice or any recommendations for some training programs that could be shared with, with hiring teams. There's this book that I highly recommend by Kim Scott. It's called Just Work. So it's working in a just environment at work. And she is the author of Radical Candor, Mm, if you've heard of that one as well. But she also runs a consultancy about this. And so that is a good resource. And one of the things in the book that kind of touches on bias, and the book is not centered around neurodiversity at all, but it's made in such a way that it definitely helps with people who are working in those types of environments. And there's a thing called attribution bias. So when you attach an action to a person and being able to separate those two is something that will help with dealing with different populations. So like if someone is late to an interview, attribution bias would say, oh, that person just doesn't care or they're disorganized. But being a person who is from an inquisitive kind of like source, and if you act from that source, then you would ask what are some of the things that happened that put you in this situation? And so if someone's maybe like ADHD, like I am, and you turn in something late, then don't come from the approach of this person is just bad with deadlines or they don't care. Or you ask about what was a, about the process that led them to that outcome, rather than saying this person is and giving that label and associating that label with the person, you really zoom in on the actual activity and the follow-up for that. Also, if you have this inquisitive background, you're able to have more open conversations to help solve these issues and work around them. And so instead of just really cementing this person in this way, but you're being able to have that type of dialogue makes it so that you can progress and actually get better at your working relationship. When you were mentioning before, just focusing on skills, that reminds me also about like how to focus on the outcome and not how things are done. Sometimes people are focused on the way the approach 
an issue or a problem or a project and not the success of that project. And the non-typical approach is where innovation actually thrives, where you're able to re-examine, re-configure like something so that you're able to work towards that outcome rather than just really focused on how you got to that outcome. I once gave a keynote and wrote it the night before. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it was successful, nerve-wracking. And some people were like, that is not the way to do it. But that's the way that I kind of operate. And what I'll do is I'll just noodle something in my brain forever and just mull over it before I put pen to paper, before I like write an outline. And it works for me. And that really is not how other people work, but it's the outcome that matter in that case. Just one last point is that if you're in this area and you're looking to work for a company, really learn the ADA and what your rights are. You do not need to disclose during interview process, but you also it's required that the company do reasonable accommodations. And so don't be afraid to ask for those and don't be afraid not to disclose if you don't feel comfortable because the law requires that if you need just some modifications, please, please don't be afraid to ask for that. You do have some legal protections. And a great source for that is askjan, that's J-A-N.org, which will list some of the accommodations that have been delimited for people if you don't know where to start or what to ask for. And then there's some little minor stuff like asking for like a bullet list of to-do items at the end of a meeting. So that could be an accommodation. It doesn't need to be so complicated as needing like ergonomic desk or more screens, which that also can be included. But simple things like, for instance, when I started my new role, I wrote a little thing about like, here's my user manual, reach to me over Slack, over email. And that's how I get pinged better because if it's over email, it can get lost and then more emails will come in. If I'm coming off curt via Slack, realize it's not an attitude problem. It's just that I don't like to type because I'm dyslexic. So those are different ways that you could find to ask for things that aren't going to be putting people off, but actually can just tell them, you know, this is, we don't have to get through this awkward thing where you have to figure out how I work and how you work. We can actually have a direct conversation about that. So I went through ADHD coaching recently to try and figure out kind of like how it's best that I work. And speaking to that person, I, I very much struggled with going from software development to developer relations, where software development is very rigid. You're going through the agile process. You do a stand up in the morning, you figure out exactly what you're working on, and then transitioning to something a lot more fluid you know, I encountered some issues and he was basically saying, I believe the person who developed agile was ADHD because everything about that process keeps you on track. And so that's something that I actually had to incorporate into my own day-to-day, not as a developer anymore, but as a developer relations professional is that I still have to do my stand-up every morning because that's what keeps me focused and something I can refer back to throughout the day because I'll ping pong through several different things and I get a lot of requests. So that kind of like keeps me focused. And it's something that my manager has been very good at kind of like adhering to and, and, and keeping me on track with. So I'm curious, considering we've talked more about the company side, like what, what are some good questions or some green flags or, or red flags that might pop up during an interview process that somebody could, could ask if they are neurodivergent? One of the things that before you even get to that point is the verbosity or the directness or the specificity of the job description. So if you can understand if they're just hiring someone with a title because they need more program managers, more developer advocates, or more community managers, are they just trying to fill a headcount and then 
the actual role of what the person's going to do is not defined. Knowing the difference between those two in the job description is my first step to see if it's a green or a red flag. Because if the role is not defined, they don't know what the person's going to do or how they're going to fulfill that role or what is the definition of done or how is success measured. All of those things personally can make me spiral and not know if I'm right for the job. And if I'm in the job, know if I'm doing well in the job or not, because um, I grade myself differently than other people do, because I can think I'm just like knocking it out of the park (laughs) and then I get put on a pip the next week. Um, Having that stuff defined about like what I think should happen and how it should happen and what the measure of success and what are the, the milestones are along the way to make sure that you're checking in and you're doing the thing you're supposed to do is one of the things that I look for in a job description before I get started. If there is a little thing at the bottom that says, let us know if you need any accommodations for the interview process, that is a giant green flag that they're willing to make those those changes and uh, really to adapt to make sure that you are successful in your journey. Also, the feedback part, if that's available, either through the recruiter or whether or not you did or did not get the job, that feedback piece, if that's available, that really helps with making adjustments. And if they're willing to do that, that means that they're also thinking critically about how they are evaluating you because they know they have to report back. So that is a big green flag or red flag, depending on if they do. Yeah. As far as asking questions on the interview process, I think a great thing to ask is, Wesley, you mentioned how a success measured. I think that's a great way to, great thing to ask your specific like team members and manager during the interview process. And I think also if it's not in the job description, you should definitely try to tackle the one month, three month, six month plan for the role. Because I find for myself, I do need those constraints and those targets to hit as I go through the first few months at a new role. And sometimes, depending on the company, depending on the team, depending on the stage that they're at with everything, the level, the seniority of the the position, sometimes those things are expected for you to know walking in the door and sometimes they're not. And I find for myself, I like to make sure that I have that in place before I even come in. Because if you walk in the door and they don't have those things defined, it means you have to figure it out yourself. And that can be tough when you're, especially for me with ADHD, it can be hard to kind of like know what to aim for, know what to prioritize. So I want to be on a team where those things are decided. So I think those are some good questions to ask about how success is defined and also like what the outcomes they're expecting for the first three to six months of the role. I think another good question to ask during the interview is about the onboarding process itself. Like what to expect if I were to get this job? What does the first week look like or the first month? Like what kind of support do I get? How do I learn about processes? All of that. I think I will give a pretty good idea about how organized things are and what kind of support the applicant can expect. Also, fidelity is important. So not just what needs to be done, but how detailed and what are the quality standards that are expected because sometimes they just want you to do a quick pass and iterate. And sometimes they want something pretty solid in terms of that first delivery of whatever that they're looking for. And understanding that is also really important because I will sometimes go deep, deep into something and go far in the wrong direction. And so understanding that what their process is and how that they understand that you're working on the thing that they expect and setting expectations appropriately is really important. I totally agree. I do want to kind of cover, you get through the interview, you got the job, you walk in the door, now what? Like, I think there are a lot of things 
about the way we work that are different. And there are a lot of accommodations that our team members can make for us and our managers can make for us and also things we can do to better manage work. And I'm wondering if from the manager perspective or the employee's perspective, whichever one, if you either of you have any tips and tricks as far as how you can manage someone who's neurodivergent or how you can manage yourself (laughs) as someone who's neurodivergent. First, if you're starting in a new job, one thing is to realize who the stakeholders are in terms of who grades your success. It may not be your immediate manager. It might be someone in sales. It might be someone else who are looking for your team to supply them with leads or supply them with collateral or give them support. So understand who the stakeholders are is very important when you're new to a job. And just because your manager tells you you need to do something, realize all the people or how your work funnels into other people's workflows is really important because you also may disregard people who might ping you on the side and say, hey, this is a priority and this really is important. And you're like, well, my manager didn't say that, so I'm not going to work on it. And realize that you could be making a critical mistake. So understand who are the actual stakeholders for your job. And also sit back and watch and observe. One of the things in terms of I'm one of those people that take things literally. And so when I hear a mission statement or leadership principles or all these things that company said that they stand for, I would believe them. And that was a huge mistake. So take a second, look at how people work, how they operate, look who gets rewarded and what gets recognition in the company to understand how you fit in and kind of what is actually the political system that you're working within. Sometimes it's good to be outspoken. Sometimes it's good to really present your ideas. Sometimes people feel that's an offense if you're overstepping them or you're if you saying that this is a better direction that they might feel like that's an affront and you're telling them their solution is worse. So there are some unintended consequences by moving into a system without observing it first. So make sure you take a step back and look around that. And if you are a manager and you're dealing with someone or you have someone on your team that's neurodiverse or someone you have to work with, I'll go back to what I said and what Ciara said, that having that psychological safety, having those open conversations and defaulting to what they might need or how they understand things and having that growth learning mindset where you are inquisitive more than judgmental is going to be the one tip that I say that is going to help you more than any others. One thing to add is, and this might start with the interview process, trying to understand this, but maybe once you get the job is like understanding your place in the company, like the larger the company, I feel like the harder it gets to figure out where you can make the impact, but having those conversations with your team, your supervisor, understanding the company's strategic goals, maybe your department goals, and then how you can make an impact and how your work can impact some of the key performance indicators. Potentially, I think that could be helpful as well. Building on the psychological safety, inquire if there are any employee resource groups or support groups for neurodiverse individuals. I know some companies have affinity groups or employee resource groups. Those have been really nice. That was actually one of the things that I found most valuable in coming to Stack was there is a very active kind of affinity group where people can go and you know share their issues and talk about some of the things that they're struggling with in a psychologically safe environment like it's all, it's all done over slack and there's a weekly thing that everyone kind of can catch up on if if they want to and it's not something that I've experienced before but it's been quite invaluable kind of having that connection within the company and seeing other people work through their issues and 
be vocal about some of the things that you know are, are triggering them or things they're having difficulty working through. Like you have that support system there, which I found was, especially as like with me being newly diagnosed and everything else, like that was great to have. I agree. I think that one of the things as someone who's neurodivergent, you have to remember to prioritize before you even get the job is psychological safety. That has got to be like one of your number one things. And which is why we kind of outline some of the questions you should be asking before, like during the interview process to really make sure that that's going to be a place where you feel safe and supported. Because of course, like tech stack is important. The projects that you're working on is important. The work that you're going to do is important. But also being able to be open and free is important too. So if you can, you want to aim for something that will, for a company or a team that will allow you to be that way. And I think for myself, what I'm realizing is that as someone with ADHD, it can be very easy to get distracted and it can be very hard to prioritize and to know what to prioritize because naturally my brain wants to do the things that feel best that are the most interesting. But sometimes the things that are the most interesting aren't the most important. And I think it can be easy to kind of feel like, oh, I'm neurodiverse or, oh, I'm this. And I don't think I'll be able to reach such and such heights in my career. But knowing what to prioritize, knowing the the kind of work that has the most impact is really important. And I think that's something you should definitely be searching for. Even like with your broader career for your six month plan for your yearly plan, but also like for your day-to-day work, like what are the things that have top priority and start working on those. It's something that I'm figuring out (laughs) and it hasn't been easy, but I feel like that's a starting point that I just had to shout out because for most of us, I feel like we kind of want to progress, right? In our careers, we want to start off as junior and senior and so on and so forth. And that's one of the ways that you can do so. So I think like knowing your place, knowing the stakeholders, like you said, Wesley, like knowing those things is super important. And then in, in addition to that, knowing what has the highest impact is going to really take you far. And it can be hard to figure that out on your own when you're neurodiverse, but like try to do so as often as you need. That's that's kind of at top of mind for me right now. Something I'll add to that as well, just because you talked about making sure you're finding the right fit. Everyone's going to have, I think, different opinions on this. Anyone else feel free to chime in, but I very much view getting a job or interviewing is very much like dating. Like you kind of, it's a long process, very stressful. There's a lot of investment from either side. And, you know, I think that the most effective thing I've found is, is filtering early. And so for me, that would mean that, you know, disclosing that, Hey, like I am neurodivergent. Like how does your team cater for this? Are you going to be able to accommodate some of the things that, you know, I need in my, my day to day? And I mean, that, that would be my advice is to kind of like be upfront, more upfront with that and say like, Hey, I want to make sure this environment is going to be fit for me and that this will be able to work longer term because you're obviously going to be trying to stick around in a job longer term. I'm curious if to, if anyone else has any different opinions on that, whether or not they should, they shouldn't. Yeah, I think that for some people, it can feel very intimidating to admit, not admit like it's a confession, but like share that you you are neurodivergent. It can be intimidating. I still feel like you should be choosing a team where that isn't the case, but personally, internally, it can still be intimidating. So you might not even have to mention specifically, I have ADHD, I'm autistic. You might not have to specifically say those things, but I think you should still outline the accommodations that you need on your day-to-day. And seeing how your the people you interview with react to that can be a good sign as to whether or not 
you would fit on that team. I think it's really important to be upfront, maybe not about like what specifically is going on, because you may not know for sure just yet if like you feel safe for that. But being able to say, oh, yeah, for me, I need to be able to check in every day with my manager. Is that possible? Would that be a good fit? If they don't respond well to that, then it kind of gives you a, a sign of whether or not that's the place for you. Yeah, I think just one thing that, so we're talking about making accessibility accommodation, talking about neurodiversity inclusion interviews as well. I think something that we often forget is that when we make these accommodations for neurodiverse individuals, they, they can benefit others as well. So for example, people who's, who come from a different country, a different culture, like for example, myself, you know, Eng- English is my second or third language. So individuals consuming content or you know, listening to you in a non-native language, it can benefit those people as well when you, when you speak in a clear and concise manner. And then you know, folks have temporary cognitive impairments. People can be tired, people can be sick, all of that. So I think it's just important that when we think about making these accommodations, it can really benefit others as well. So it's just something I, I wanted to highlight. All right. Well, that wraps up the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Matt Kinander. I am a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow, again, joined by my wonderful cohort of co-hosts, Wesley Sior and Marianne. I'm Sior Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Auth0. You can find me on Twitter. My username there is Ciorio. That's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. My name is Wesley Faulkner. You can find me on Twitter at Wesley83. You can find my work at polywork.com forward slash Wesley83. And generally speaking, if you want to get in contact with me, my DMs are open. And I'm Marianne Lowry, product research lead on Stack Overflow for Teams. It's great to be part of this conversation. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you very much, everyone. And we will see you next time.